Hello and welcome to Alone Up Front, the podcast for teachers doing it by themselves. Hello everybody, welcome listeners, new listeners, nice to hear from you, old listeners back for more, nice to have you back. My name's Steve Mortimer, I'm a teacher in Berlin, with me is my brother Chris Mortimer, who is a teacher in the UK. What's up Chris? Hi Steve, yeah, doing very well, thank you. Yep, I'm in the Vale of Beaver this morning, a beautiful summer's day, not too hot, bit of sunshine and looking forward to getting into today's content. Good stuff. So this is the podcast for teachers doing it by themselves who find themselves alone up front, simply charged with the task of educating a group of people. Um, not so much for teachers who did teacher training, who work within local education authorities, but more people who've kind of fallen into the profession and have found that they're quite enjoying it, but they're also finding it challenging. Me and Chris both, both basically did that to varying different extents. And so we're trying to pass on what little wisdom we've accrued over the years mm -hmm. and help out those teachers um, to make the most of the situation they're in. Because teaching remains a fun job and a great job. And if you do it well, it just gets easier and better. So it's win-win, really. We have a, a topic for each podcast. Today's topic is going to be energy levels in the learning space. Then we have a couple of extra features, one called Is It Worth It?, where me and Chris furiously debate a hot topic in education, and a top tip which comes at the end of the program, which is a practical idea you can implement in your teaching this afternoon or tomorrow or tonight, whenever you're doing it. So that's how it's going to break down. So then, energy levels in the classroom. Chris, I always like to ask you straight away, what, mm. would you say in the curve of your teaching career, over the last 10, 12, 13, 15 years you've been doing it, would you say that the energy that you put into the classroom mm. um, has, what, what does the curve look like? Did you start off quiet and you've become more energetic or did it go the other way or has there been some kind of bell curve? How's your progression been um, as you've progressed through mm. the profession? Uh, well, um, I'm not sure if I've progressed through, through the profession. I'm uh, pretty much on the same level, to be honest. But I would say my energy has probably gone down mm. my energy but it depends what we're talking about i mean in terms of how tired i feel after a session and it's something we touch on every week uh how can you you know try to be less tired or exhausted at the end of the session these days um i try to teach it without having to put you know my heart and soul into it and so i would say my energy um the energy i'm personally putting in you know that's actually gone down okay. but but as my practice has got better i've found ways of uh creating energy in the classroom without having to just you know drive it myself which is exhausting over a period of time and i think that's straight away an interesting point that we land at when we talk about energy in the learning space energy in the classroom we have to think about what the source of that energy is and what the purpose of that energy is um, whether the energy is being driven by the teacher or actually being driven by the learners, or whether it's a collaborative act, and what, yeah, what role the energy is playing. Do you think um, there's a correlation between energy and learning? Mm, that, well, that's an interesting... We're getting straight into the meat and potatoes today. <laughs> that's yeah, an I mean, interesting well, one. I'll Could be a 2,000-word essay. I'll, but, I'll, back, yeah. I'll, back, I'll background it a little bit. Yeah. Because my approach when I went into teaching was very much um, the more energy there is in mm. the classroom, yeah, the more learning said. is happening in the classroom. So mm. I really went in there all guns mm. blazing. And I also saw myself, it must be said, as the prime energy source. Yeah. Um, that was how I, how, I, how I started out. But I'm not entirely sure whether that was the right thing to do. Um, did you yeah, start out in a similar way or do you, how do you see this? Well, I do remember, Steve, when you were doing your PGCE, you, uh, no, it wasn't when you were doing your PGCE, when you were teaching in Lewisham in, in London, when yeah. you were teaching mm -hmm. in a secondary school, you said, yeah. um, you know, the teachers, you know, there's, there's a bit of a dress code and they have to wear suits and tie. And yeah. you were struggling wearing a tie because there was a lot of, um, a lot of movement, you know, yeah. a lot of physicality in your teaching. And, um, you know, it was, it was slightly uncomfortable wearing the tie. So I think at the beginning of the lesson, you'll kind of rip it off or, I don't know, maybe maybe, maybe it used to go over your head, you know. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what you did with it. But, this but is slanderous. I, <laughs> but I do remember you feeling that it was a very physical 
activity. But I think, I mean, I think the problem maybe teachers or people can have coming into the profession is their perception of where the teacher sits in this learning process. And I think a lot of people come to teaching, I think uh, we were the same thinking, the teacher is the hero in the classroom. And the teacher is uh, front and center. And, you know, it's all on you. You know, you best drag these learners through to some glorious learning <laughs> outcomes, you know. And, mm. and these days on TV, there's, um, I mean, it's very interesting. We should talk about this one, one day, Steve, but kind of, um, uh, kind of the status that's attached to teaching and the kind of cultural position of teaching as as a profession. But yeah. these days on TV in the UK, there's been a few there's been a few documentaries about teachers, mm. and there's a few kind of dramas mm. about about schools. You mm. know, not Grange Hill type stuff that's on at half past four or half past five, mm. yeah, which was terrifying in its own way. Mm. Mm. But um, this is stuff that is on that's on kind of in the evening. You know, eight thirty. Mm. You know, families mm. tuning into it, and so it's it's almost paradoxical because I think that. The status of teaching, I think basically we're living in the age of entrepreneurship mm. and the status of teaching has kind of declined. But at the same time, in popular culture, where there's lots of examples of teaching situations on TV. Mm. And what I'm getting at is these all portray teachers as, you know, the heroes of the classroom. You know, the teachers mm. are the saviors. They're dragging the students through. And I think that is the mindset that new teachers come with. They think, I'm the hero of the classroom. This is my time. You know, I best leave it all out there to make sure that, um, that, that I'm kind of the hero of the situation and, and that everybody's successful. You know, it's all on me. Mm -hmm. And you're setting yourself up for failure. I think with, with with that mindset, you know, you might have a couple of successful lessons, but it's not, it's not sustainable over the time. You can't be the prime source of energy in the classroom if you want to have a long and sustainable teaching career? Well, there's two aspects of this. that You can't physically because you're putting too much into it. And, um, and yeah, it's unsustainable, surely, at a physical level. But also you're disenfranchising your learners at a fundamental level by robbing them of the, of the agency that they need over over their own learning and it's a recurring theme on on this podcast the uh, idea of role uh, learners um driving their own learning and certainly being partially if not completely responsible for for that or certainly be feeling that they have the power to make that process work for them or not mm. and if you center too much um, emphasis, influence, agency, power, whatever, in the role of the teacher, then you are, yeah, you're robbing the learners of that opportunity. And yet, I completely agree with you, it makes mm. for much better drama mm. if we have one central hero in any given story. And the way, sure. you, yeah, the way humans perceive life and pretty much everything we confront with intuitively is through narrative and through through the story and mm. through um, mm. encountering an obstacle and a challenge and trying to overcome it and then learning something on, on the way out. And um, what we forget is that um, all of our learners are also heroes in, in their story. Mm. And, um, and by neglecting that fact and robbing them of the chance to go on any kind of journey, you actually compromise their learning, but you do so with the best intentions. Mm. Um, and let's let, let's just cycle back a little bit. Let's think mm. about my the reasoning behind because I think going into teaching, I wasn't. Um, I, I I did have a, a certain kind of uh, complex about wanting to help and be. I did think very much that I would be. I hoped that I would be instrumental in helping kids and helping people learn. So there, what that was definitely under there as well. But I was also motivated by a desire not to be a boring teacher and not to have those moments in lessons or whole parts mm, of lessons mm. where the energy is just sucked out of the room and you just feel like, oh, mm, everyone, totally. wants to, everyone wants to die. Now, here a distinction needs to be made between different contexts. If you're working with younger learners, primary, secondary sector, so up until, say, age 15, then you're probably not going to have a problem with with low energy lessons because the kids mm. bring their own energy. That's a different mm. kind of um, situation. But when you go into um, older um, youngsters or adult education, 
then of course um, the main uh, whereas kids will demonstrate their displeasure by behaving badly and fighting and all kinds of stuff like that adults will mm. display their dis displeasure by just allowing the energy to completely sap out of the room and and you sort of you start your lesson five minutes into it you suddenly realize oh my my goodness literally everybody including me is bored and this mm. is the time is going by incredibly slowly and we're not getting anywhere so um my motivation behind going in there in a high energy approach and thinking that basically the more energy the better it was a combination of wanting to be the center and, and drive the learning and kind of make myself important if you like and being utterly terrified of those boring moments mm. Mm. um or the all the fact of not, not wanting to make it boring and what i uh, realized fairly early on with a some despair was that it wasn't really working in either mm. of those contests you you um you still had that sense of boring desperation even mm. though i was going in there and really <laughs> trying to inject energy mm. and there i mean it's one thing feeling frustrated because you're in a quiet classroom, no one's talking, no one's engaging, everyone's bored. But if you are in that situation and you are sweating and talking and, and waving your arms around and being highly animated and still you're getting no response, mm. that's, um, that's kind of distressing because you realize you're also sort of slightly making a fool of yourself. And it's very obvious for everyone involved that what that's you it. want to be happening is not what mm. is actually happening. It's it, it's kind of exasperating, but it's also you just touched on it there. It's also a bit humiliating oh, yeah. <laughs> for, oh, yeah. for for you. You know, like, uh, and I think last week we touched on the teacher who we were talking about discussion, or it might have been the week before mm. the teacher who's like, you know, shows shows exasperation. Yep. You know, yep. provoking. Fi mm. fi finally gets a question answered, and they're like, "Is it that difficult?" Mm. You know, mm. that's it's, right. It, it's you, you can get yourself into this uh, kind of negative spiral very quickly where yeah. you, you you know you go into the classroom with the best of intentions with all the energy mm. within two or three minutes you can be feeling exasperated mm. humiliated isolated mm. yeah. um it's it's a very quick process because this is this kind of reinforcing loop that that, that yeah. happens you get exasperated you put more energy in makes you more exasperated mm. you know mm. very 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 quickly um you can be exasperated but I just i just is there something you want to build on that steve or can i throw well, something in um no yeah. throw something throw something in go on um i t i went through the same process uh with mm. my teaching definitely mm. okay you're going in you've got to be upbeat mm. positive you know you want to be the teacher that the students kind of kind of love that students talk about a break time mm. uh, you know talk mm. about between lectures mm. or oh, have you got a module with him that's great mm. blah, 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 blah. Mm. you know particularly if you're recently a student yourself mm. um but, but one thing i have found those times when i'm teaching and i'm thinking God, the students are so bored with this. And particularly mm. when I'm when I'm lecturing, which is set up as a chalk and talk situation. Mm. Although may, maybe we can talk about that as well, you know, changing the role of the lecture. Mm. Um, I I look around and um, everyone looks so bored. Mm. <laughs> you know, there's people not concentrating. And I really struggled this with this at the beginning of my career. But then I started getting some student feedback and um, you know most of the students were really, really liking the, really liking the lectures. Mm. Um, so, and then I thought, well, what was I like in lectures when I was mm. a student? Mm. You know, nobody sits there and like makes eye contact with a lecturer no. and is not, you know, no, nobody wants to do that. No, no, so, no. So, so um, you've got to be careful how you're interpreting those that that uh, instant feedback you're getting from the students. Mm. Sometimes you have to be careful how you're how you're interpreting that. It might be going better than you than you think. Mm. I think then, in terms of drawing a few conclusions from this initial chat, um, we um, we're saying that high energy. We haven't discussed really whether high energy automatically yeah. means good learning. We never actually answered that question. <laughs> But we have said that um, we both tended to think that higher energy is broadly good um, mm. because of a, the, the Christ-like complex of wanting to be the saviour of their learning and the, the fear of having sort of silent boredom lessons. Um, 
And we both thought initially that we should deliver that energy, but we both realized that that cannot be, the, the, the teacher alone cannot be the source of the energy. It doesn't really work. Um, you can't um, get out a, uh, what do you call those things that shoot fire out? Flamethrower. You can't get out a metaphorical <laughs> flamethrower and blast your students with it. it. Um, to yeah. continue with the um, arson-related metaphors, it's it's much more about <laughs> about putting setting a, a match to the fire within them, and then them sort mm. of sort of bringing the bringing the heat, as it were. Uh, Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, uh, I I think pe people listeners will want to know Steve why. Um, you know, I know nothing big happened at, at the school in Lewisham, yeah. but wh why did you not continue with the conventional, um, the conventional, you know, te teaching path? You know, mm. was it, was it just that you want to go back to Berlin or was there an element of, um, you know, this kind of teaching is really tiring? You know, one reason being that I have to, I feel like I'm bringing the energy. Or I think, you know, we're probably missing an important part of the story if we don't, if if we don't cover that, you know, why why are you not a full time, a full time Te teacher, teacher in the UK? Yeah. Well, well, um, well, I just to update listeners. I lived in mm. Germany back in the day and was a, an English uh, freelance um, EFL teacher with no training. Went back to the UK in two thousand and five. Did a PGCE postgraduate certificate of education, which is an additional qualification you can do after you've got a degree in the UK to become a qualified teacher. I then taught for a couple of years in London. In South London, but then I got a job offer in Berlin mm -hmm. um, for a full-time uh, salaried uh, position, contracted position at a University mm -hmm. of Applied Science here, and went back to Berlin. Returned to Berlin. Now um, that wasn't really a reaction against. I, I didn't. It's not that I wanted to stop teaching in the UK. It's just yeah. that I finally had the opportunity to have a properly paid job in Berlin and actually live here, which which back in, I don't mm. know if, if people know much about Germany, um, in the early um, 2000s, in the 90s and the early 2000s, it was a very difficult economic environment here in Germany and especially in the eastern part of Germany where I live. So there were, wasn't many options and that's why I was working freelance back before I did the PGCE. Um, now my experience in London as a, a school, as a comprehensive state school teacher in an academy actually, which is a kind of more modern form of state school, which is um, controversial in its own right, but there you go. Mm. It was um, a comprehensive um, mixed intake in South London, difficult, challenging environment to work in. And I was doing my NQT year, so my newly qualified teacher year for, for a year, and then uh, and then I taught for a second year. And I'd say that after, uh, towards the end of that, I was kind of getting the hang of it and was uh, getting my sort of behavior management and my lesson planning to the level where I was beginning to feel like I could make this sustainable. But I had a long way to go um, mm. to be in a situation where I thought, yeah, I've really got my, my whole situation under control here. I was a teacher of English. Um, um, and let's let's not get into a, a big a big discussion about mm. the status of teachers, but sure, I, was sure. I was very happy with um, the, the way I was... The, the the opportunities that were available to us as teachers, mm. the support we were getting, um, and it, it was great. The PGC was was great. I did that at the University of Bath. Um, the support that I got from the department was great. Um, the, I, the support I was able to give to less experienced colleagues also was great. It was a really a really good system. But what mm. I really noticed was that when I came back to Berlin, there was none of that. There was no mm. support. There was no. Um, colleagues to talk to really there was no sort of network of mentoring or or practical or, or, or methodology methodological advice or anything like that mm. um and so you suddenly found yourself alone up front and then I was it was weird I was in a situation where I had done a lot of training and, and thought a lot about all this educational stuff that we talk about each week on this podcast and I was talking mm. to co new colleagues in Berlin who'd never had any of that they were doing a great mm. job with um 
with the experience that they had. And they'd figured a lot of this stuff out themselves. But I just thought then that's what, what the ultimate motivation to start this podcast was. Like, mm. there's so many people doing um, a really creditable job um, without really any support if they just had a little yeah. access to some of these ideas. And this is your experience too, Chris. Sure. Because you, you've, sure. not, you've not done official teacher training, but you are mm. now a teacher as well. So we have sort of both sides of this. And um, and that's the idea to, to start the podcast. So mm. yeah, maybe that's a bit of a useful bit of background for listeners so they mm. understand my situation. I certainly was in, well, it, I was cognizant the whole time in London that the best teachers I saw were not loud we're not forcing energy. We're not flamethrowing energy into their learners. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was not to say that they had low energy lessons at all. They sure. seemed There seemed to be energy in their lessons, but it didn't seem to be coming from them. It was driven by the learners. And it was a controlled energy. It wasn't a chaotic energy. And mm. I realized, I think, fairly early on that that was the way to go, that you need to get this energy from somewhere else. You cannot just force it into the room yourself mm. uh, the question is how, how do you do that and, sure. and that's i guess what we're gonna try and get to a little bit later on in in today's podcast but yeah i was i mean going back to the tie wearing a tie thing i was mm. uh, an english and drama teacher so one third of my timetable i was teaching drama and when you're teaching drama lessons to you know 24 13 14 year olds from south london um it's gonna get mm. hectic on a friday afternoon sure. And, you know, you're, on the one hand, you're asking the kids to stand up, move around, interact with each other physically. And on the other hand, you're just saying they have to maintain impeccable standards of behavior, which is which is a bit of a challenge to to, um, to these kids. And although they, they tried very hard, and I certainly had to work very hard to get the right balance between having them up and moving, but then not... Um, misbehaving it was it was quite a challenge and it did require and not wearing a suit would have been great but that was that was mm. the professional standard um at the time so i had to so sure. how it went down they were also wearing ties and blazers mm. <laughs> so um that's, that's that's the way it goes so that that answers that question chris like why i why i left i didn't leave mm. out of a sense of frustration with the profession in the uk at all i left because mm. of the opportunity mm. in berlin because i for personal reasons I just love uh, Germany and I love living in Berlin. And mm. that was really what I wanted to do. But I, wasn't, I hadn't been able to do that earlier um, in 2003-04 because there just wasn't, weren't the positions available. Mm. So that, that's how it, how it broke down. Sure. Yeah, yeah, cool. And uh, what you're saying about, um, I think the role of this podcast is, and we'll get back to the main topic in a second, I'm sure, okay. but, yeah. but the role of this podcast for the listeners is, uh, for me, I think I, I'm kind of the target market. yeah. Yeah, for this podcast, and and as you said, you know, I've learned some new stuff, but a lot of it has been kind of uh, affirmation of mm-hmm. what of what I'm doing already, and, and has put a language and um, you know built some concepts around um, what I'm doing already. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, we're certainly not trying to reinvent the real and you know no, edu- no. Edu- educate very ex- experienced uh, practitioners, but. Um, for me, it's been um, yeah m- more of an affirmation of what I'm already doing, and that's certainly given me confidence and given me new language to express myself and uh, yeah, you know, bring bring new ideas to the table. I can think uh, maybe it can plug a few gaps with people, just kind of connect a few a few ideas or methods that weren't quite connected, and then the result is a new confidence in what you're doing because you realize mm. that thing that you thought was probably made sense, but you weren't sure if that's what people do. Well, help. Yes, it is. Yeah. And and this is why. And if you just connect it with this, wow, that'll, that'll give great results and make you more confident and happier as a, as a teacher. Mm. So just to, to bring things together, um, energy is important, uh, but you can't just deliver it um, for the teacher. Um, but you do sort of need it. Just to go back to that question, would you say, Chris, on balance, mm. energy is mm. good or bad for learning? Oh, it, it depends what you're learning, doesn't it? Yes, yes, it does. It does. Depends think, what you're learning, yeah. I think mm. that um, the reason we're battling with this concept is that there's there's uh, an, another concept connected with energy. Mm. And when we connect this other concept with energy and see the, the, how they work together then everything starts to make sense. But in true kind of clickbait style, I'm not going to mention that energy yet. We're going to save that for the second half of the podcast. Mm. And we're going to jump over to our special feature, which is, uh, is it worth it?
have the coin. So, as always, Chris doesn't know what we're going to debate, and we're going to mm. toss a coin to see which side of the argument we're on. Chris, the topic is, is it worth making slides using PowerPoint mm. for your lessons? Is it worth making Ooh. slides or just going in there with no slides, with no visuals? Okay. okay. Now, I understand that this is going to be an issue because you do lecturing and seminar-led teaching. Mm. So let's say, apart from an lecture situation... Yeah, I'm thinking about the more yeah. like the seminar so the situation. More, so, so, so more kind of, a sort of more interactive type teaching setup. Should you be mm. making slides? Is it worth it? I'm going, to toss okay. the, I'm going to toss the coin. If the euro signs come up, comes up, you're saying it's worth it, okay? Okay. Oh, I dropped the coin. <laughs> no. So you're saying it's not worth it, Chris. It's okay. not worth it's not worth making visuals. I'm saying it is worth it. Interesting. Okay, so well, PowerPoint, I mean, PowerPoint is the ultimate symbol for me of chalk and talk teaching because uh, what is it? I mean, PowerPoint is already it's it's largely discredited in you know, <laughs> even is even it? in even in business circles these days, you know, there's people trying to move away from PowerPoint because they recognize it as oh when you know someone there's another powerpoint presentation coming okay that means there's going to be no interaction um that means you know the uh, the presenter is just going to be talking through the, the presenter is going to be reading things to me it's just such a kind of buzzkill when people break out the powerpoint presentation i think the same thing applies to a great extent in the classroom as well particularly in the university setting where students have to sit through hours of lectures and you know we've been there steve me and you lecturers literally reading through slides so i think it's time to face face this brave new world and you know the stuff we're going through on this podcast is going to help you uh with group activities and you've got to take a leap of faith and put away the powerpoint Over okay to you, whoa, steve. whoa 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 hang on a minute <laughs> powerpoint is and i quote largely discredited in the business world okay <laughs> according to chris mortimer okay how about this badly used powerpoint is entirely mm. discredited but powerpoint is it's like saying um it's like saying board markers are useless it's not the board marker it's what mm. you write with it that counts and surely powerpoint you can't just um <laughs> in a catch-all scenario, say all PowerPoint is bad. I'm not talking about preparing slides which you then read out to your students. That's a terrible idea. What I'm mm. talking about is using the aspects of visuals to provide support to buttress the delivery of your teaching. So we may be talking about introducing a group task, um, which will require a short introduction from you. You've given out the sheets and the materials face down. Always give out your sheets face down. You've foregrounded the task. And you expect the learners just to get into it. Now, if you have no visuals, then you have to foreground every single element of that task and talk about every single contingency scenario mm -hmm. that might happen so they know what's going on, which is going to take ages. You feel the energy sapping out of the room. If you can foreground the task in brief, I say, this is what you're going to do. If you have questions, check out the PowerPoint slide. That will answer any detailed questions you have. If you still don't know what to do, pull up your hand, I'll come and help you out. So you're mm. using the PowerPoint as an additional method to provide details, which means you can keep your teacher talk to a minimum and get straight into the task. What do you think about that? Yeah, I totally agree with some of what you're saying. So you've got to have some supporting materials and that definitely fits with what we're trying to argue for on this podcast, which is a kind of, um, you know, not getting too involved with the learning, you know, just managing your energy levels, making sure the students are at the center of the learning. You know, what you're saying supports all of that. And yes, we should provide some resources to support the activity because we don't want to be going around explaining all the time. All I'm saying is PowerPoint is not the best way to do that anymore. And you mentioned yourself, you could print out hard copies. Um, you could have uh, some other way to disseminate uh, this information. Uh, I've used various online platforms that students can tap into. I think for me, it's just the kind of symbolism of, you know, <laughs> you're in the class and then, um, you know, you know, when you open PowerPoint and you get that power, PowerPoint is opening. You know, and, and you get the percentage bar across the bottom or something. And I, I don't know. I think a lot of people just 
Oh, it just literally, like I did, it literally makes them sigh. So, yeah, I mean, we we always we always actually move towards a synergy in these debates, don't we? And I, I think I agree with what you're saying. It's uh, the medium itself is not necessarily wrong, although uh, I think with PowerPoint, you know, it does have this kind of this kind of negative symbolism. But I totally agree. You need some resources to support the the group activity because you don't want to be the teacher at the centre of anything. Centre of anything that's of everything that's going to make you knackered. But mm. it's think it's thinking about how to disseminate that information. You know, I don't think having a PowerPoint slide up front although any of my students now know that i'm playing devil's advocate here because i always have a single powerpoint slide um up front you know uh, on display um mm. to provide support during the group activity but you know I, i'm genuinely trying to to move away that move away from that and look at other other media for doing the same thing well another argument for using more extensive slides is that it um, frees up brain space for you to focus on your students if you have your whole lesson planned out on slides but these are not slides with like lots of information um, that the students are just supposed to read and absorb rather they say okay slide five okay now we're going to do a group task and then slide six eight. by the way things you need to remember and you sort of write your whole lesson as kind of like mm. a script um, but you just copy that script quickly under slides and have it up there. It means that for the you yourself as a teacher, you don't have to think about, okay, how and what's what activity are we doing after this one? I can't I mean, if you don't mm. have slides, you have to have that all in your head. Yeah. You see that that's what I'd exactly what I'll do on the handout. Mm. You see, yeah. you know, I'll have a hard copy handout. Um and then yeah, yeah, the whole thing is on a single sheet as well. It means you're not fragmenting it and, yeah. and switching between slides and stuff. That I, I think that works really well with a hard copy handout, handed mm. out face down, of course. The issue with that though is that um, yeah, you hand it out face down, which is good. Then you say right, turn over the sheets, and then they're going to read the whole thing, whether you like it or not. Which means mm. they're getting a preview for what's Possible. happening in the, in the plenary of your lesson, and that's why you need to be able to withhold that and introduce that piece of information at the most apposite time for your learners. Which is why I would advocate it on the sides. But let's let's now um, drop the veil of our pretend argument <laughs> and reveal our actual belief. Now, um, I actually, I basically, I mean, I'm, I basically never have any slides. And that mm. is not good. I would like to get to a situation where I do what I was claiming to have done <laughs> in my little mm. argument there, which is to say, add deep and basically think carefully about the, th I'd say the three or four main channels of communication you yeah. have with your, your students. This is going to be a whole podcast on its own, but really briefly, you've got you talking to the whole group. That's one channel mm. of communication. You've got you walking and talking to an individual student while the others are walking. That's the second one. Then you've got the, your visuals, which would be a third one. And you've got materials that you give them on a sheet, which is a, a fourth one. So there's four, probably four channels of communication. And what we need, we need to think about is which channel of communication is best optimized to which content. So the form, mm -hmm. you know, the um, medium is the message, as Marshall McLuhan said. Certain media or certain channels of communication are presuppose a certain or influence the content communicated by them. And I would say that if we're talking, if we take away, um, just to simplify it, we have three channels. Talk to the student, mm -hmm. give them a handout, put it mm -hmm. on the slides. They're the three. Yeah. I yeah. would say that the, the stuff you're saying to them, need, that channel of communication is inherently a human-centric one because it's you talking with your human face to them mm. and they're listening with their human ears. And that, to me, is better suited to motivational, thoughtful, reflective, emotionally mm. driven mm. content than, for example, putting that content on a PowerPoint slide. Yeah, yeah. Imagine yeah. how imagine yeah. how weird it would be if you was like, right, yeah. here are the material parameters of the of the exercise. You have that much time, you have to do this, this, and here to get you motivated are some quotes to read. You you could you yeah, could, that's interesting you could that. do that's that. interesting. Because I but I have tried a similar thing. I've tried mm. to have kind of zero teaching lessons where I again come in and then groups, mm. and then the task is on, the task is displayed mm. on the PowerPoint slide mm. at the front. But, and, you know, um, in, in theory, it's, it sounds quite good. You know, the mm. teacher's not doing anything, but you're absolutely right. It's like at the beginning, you've got mm. to provide some context and motivation. Mm. Mm. And yeah, reading that doesn't work. It's like, you've got to hear that from, yeah. from, from a human being, I think. 
Um, but but it's, it's felt very unnatural to me to, to not say anything at, at the beginning. But what I found with me is that um, I actually, you devalue the inherent power of the human voice mm. by using it to disseminate yep. kind of workmanlike information, which they mm. could have got on the slide or they could have got on a handout. Mm. And this yeah. is going back to teacher talk. We talked about rationing your teacher talk last week. Um, you know, your voice is a precious resource. And if you mm. can reserve those moments for the most kind of, uh, yeah, emotional and important personal information exchanges, that's that's really good. Not wearing yourself out, wearing your voice box out, but also wearing out the value of that interaction totally. by yeah. using it for stuff that could be communicated in a different way. Now, of course, it's a different debate. What do you put on the slide and what do you put on the handout? Um, mm. because your handouts could be longer, obviously. Students can read them at their own pace. They can go back if there's clarification. That that lends itself to one kind of information. And then the slide on the front, obviously, is restrictions in terms of size, and you crucially control how long they can see that slide, and you can sort of direct their attention towards it or not. And I think that um, depending on what you're teaching, where you're teaching, group size, length of sessions, what it, what we need to do now, the, the answer to the question is should you be making slides is mm. <laughs> it depends. Um, mm. the, it's, it's not about saying, you know, you should have well, um, you know, huge slide decks for every lesson. I know plenty of people who teach who basically measure their aptitude based on mm -hmm. the size of their slide decks. I don't think this is the way sure. forward at all. But the question is, are you considering the different channels of communication you have with your learners and utilizing each one mm. um, in an optimum fashion? That's the, and, that's and let's just go through the channels again. So what are they? So the first is uh, teacher talks. Teacher talks, the whole group. So and the then, second is um, hard copy handout. Hard copy handout. And then and the third is slide on the screen. Slide on the screen, yeah. Got yeah. you. I'd yeah. say that they're, they're the three. I know you could say what individual interaction with individual learners is a, a fourth one or maybe a subcategory mm. of, of the first one. Mm. But um, those are the three. And I, I like it when there's an interplay, when each of those channels is delivering related but distinct information. I think mm. it makes for a, just a richer, more interactive experience having to sort of look. Also, you're, 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 you're enhancing transferable skills. They have to look up at the, uh, the whiteboard and then, then sort of, use that information with what they have in the handout and be listening to you. You're not trying to confuse them. And some people might be listening to us. It sounds like a nightmare having to get information from different sources, <laughs> but you're, you're optimizing it. You're not making it like some kind of puzzle. You're thinking, right, what makes sense to have on the whiteboard so we can refer to as a class? Exactly. What makes sense to be? Mm. And um, yeah, I think that's really, but like I said, that will absolutely be a podcast in, in its own right. I think in the future, mm. because um, optimizing channels of communication is something we need to think about. And it connects with, um, everything else we've been talking about so far on the mm. podcast but also with energy management in the classroom connects with that mm. too so maybe we'll, maybe we'll take a, a deeper look at that um uh, at a later date let's now just ease back into our main topic Okay, folks, so thanks for sticking with us. We've had Is It Worth It? Um, turns out it broadly is worth making PowerPoint slides, but, you know, there's caveats as always. Um, the main topic today is managing any less, um, energy levels in the learning space. And we came to the conclusion that me and Chris charged into the profession in our early 20s, um, fueled by a Christ-like desire to be the saviour of our learners, and terrified of having boring lessons and we yelled at well we didn't yell at them but we talked very loudly and moved and waved our arms a lot a lot at the front all to very little effect because the lessons were mm. still frustratingly dull put it that way in a nutshell um this is what i have come to believe a little bit i wouldn't say i've particularly got a much better than that early point but i think i i, I figured it out to a, a deeper extent of understanding um I teased the idea of combining energy with a second topic, a second concept, and that would be focus. So the role between energy mm. and focus. Fo focus being um, your, and this is of course learner centric. So the energy being developed, generated by the learners and the amount of focus being generated by the learners. So, so if that's fo focus, the focus needed for a particular task? The focus, mm -hmm. they, the focus they are bringing to bear in okay. the completion of a task. Okay, yeah. So how, how focused they are, how, how, um, how dedicated, how invested they are in uh, that given moment. Mm -hmm. Now, as has previously been the case on this podcast, I always like 
producing graphs of different variables. We can think about um, energy levels going from low to high, being on, mm -hmm. on the vertical. This, um, this, this is funny because you're trying to now verbally explain something that would be better on a PowerPoint slide, which, which, which links to our previous point. That it's a beautiful illustration <laughs> of using the, wrong, using the wrong medium. Yes, so, yes. so here it is. So you're probably feeling the same kind of sense of, uh, of, of kind of um, labored effort that you yes. do in the classroom where you're exactly. like, if only I had a slide for this. Yes. Well, yeah. you know, the, the, the Alone Up Front YouTube channel is, is on the way and then we're going to make yeah. a list It's going to happen. <laughs> For now, um, whatever our listeners are doing, maybe they're on the way to work, maybe they're jogging. But if you can imagine in your mind's eye a graph mm. we have on the vertical, low energy at the bottom going up to high energy at the top. And we have on the horizontal, mm -hmm. low focus going up to high level of focus on the right, yep. left to right. And that gives us four quadrants. Sure. Um, we have on the right-hand side of the graph, high level of focus. At the top, mm -hmm. high energy, high focus. And at the bottom, mm -hmm. low energy, high focus. On the left-hand yeah. side of the graph, we have low focus, high energy, low focus, and low energy, low focus. Sure, yep. And um, this is when I started figuring out that um, just because a lesson is not loud and energetic, it doesn't mean that there's not great learning happening. And yeah, by the same token, sure. just because uh, a lesson does seem to be loud and energetic, it doesn't mean that learning is happening. Mm. Yeah. So, so I'm going to um, look at those quadrants in order. And I'd like you, Chris, for each one to try and think about uh, a particular lesson or a specific yeah, I'm experience. I'm already thinking about that, yeah. Okay, I think okay. we should populate it. Yeah. I think we, we absolutely, let, let's populate this graph. So mm. beginning on the left, here you have low focus. So this mm. is where your learners are not particularly invested or bringing that much to the task. Now, your initial instinct is to say, well, never. That should never be the case. There must always mm. be huge focus. Um, that's the first question. Do you believe that there's... Mm. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Mm. I'm not sure. I think it depends on the length of your session. But I think, mm. I think there should be kind of a... Um, I think there should be periods of high focus and then and then periods when they can be more relaxed. I think you're going to get more done through mm. having periods of, of high focus and periods of lower focus than to insist on maximum focus for the whole lesson because they're just going to get tired. I agree. And um, I've come to believe that if you have... I, th I think the, the one quadrant of this graph that I'm not interested in is in the bottom left-hand corner. Low focus, low, focus, low, low energy. energy. I think that that is one where I, I, to be honest, I can't think of a, a an activity or a period in my lesson where I want that to be mm. the case. That is, but it does, but, but it does happen. Yeah, you know? I, I mean, I'm thinking when you're doing your teacher talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably probably when we're doing our teacher talk. Yeah, to be honest, is probably when they're like, okay, I, I can just chill out. I can kind of tune in a bit, but he's not going to say anything that interesting. And then you know, in three yeah. minutes, you know, to, yeah, that's that's. Yeah, probably. But the perspective of that's not what we're aiming for, of course, and we're trying to change that. But, yeah, I, I yeah. think it's an inevitability. But my mm. my aspiration would be to minimise that time spent there. Of course. Yeah. Um, now, when I first started thinking about this, I also thought that the low focus, high energy had no role. I thought, no, you have to keep yourself mm. on the right hand side of the graph the whole time. But I've changed my mind on that. Mm. And I'm, I can think of a few here. Yeah. Well, go on. What, 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 what could you imagine well, would be that kind I, of scenario? I think a kind of, this to me sounds like a warm-up activity. So, exactly. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so you're not, you know, there's not a big kind of intellectual challenge. You know, you're going through fairly routine theoretical stuff, mm. but we want to get warmed up. So there might be some physical element to it. You know, and like I'll, I'll give an example, you know, even... Even in my MBA, in my MBA teaching, mm. I give, um, I, I, I think it's just brilliant, this activity. So, so, so you have 10, um, 10 terms, mm. technical terms on mm. one side of the page, which is stuff you did in the last session. Mm. and then 10 definitions on the other side of the page mm. yeah and mm. all they have to do is 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 link them up so it's just, so so you have those wavy lines yeah. mm -hmm. going mm. across and it's always a bit more difficult than they think but not but not that difficult mm. you know and you mm. can manage the difficulty and it, mm. it's it's always a killer a killer warm-up task yeah um 
and uh, and it's quite be- be- because of the physicality of actually you know drawing in the lines mm. and uh, and you can you know uh, make the layout slightly more sophisticated to encourage a bit more you know energy mm-hmm. um so it's so yeah this this would be an example for me of low focus uh, high energy kind of warm-up task yeah and even more high energy if you cut up those um those terms and definitions so you have 10 terms 10 definitions that's 20 one per student and they say right if Love you f- find your definition so somewhere in the room has it mm-hmm. you're not like you you're not allowed to say what you are you can only define what you are and if you're a definition <laughs> you can't define you can only say what you are. Um, or even Brilliant. better, write, write, it, write it on cigarette papers and have it stick it, stick it on their forehead, the classic Rizzler game, so they don't mm. know what they are and they have to ask mm. people what they are and that kind of thing. Um, absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, you just give me a great idea there. Yeah, I've got to try the, that. Uh, I, I, I mean, I think well, several podcasts ago we talked about how um, we both like to go in with a pretty high energy kind of, just to kind of reset <laughs> our learners' brains a little bit to say mm. um whatever you thought whatever uh, preconceptions you had of this course it might be a mm. bit different because straight away we're getting you up out of your seats and you're moving around so that's and, high, high energy on the part of the learner not it doesn't mean the teacher going in and, and ranting no. and raving yeah no, no 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 this is this is yeah i mean if you're if you have to get up and you have to walk around the room and interact with people then mm. um this is a more like there'll be a more lively atmosphere in the group than mm. if everyone is, is sat down um, obviously, students all sat down working individually. Um, that's sort of, I would say, low energy. Not necessarily low focus, but low energy. Um, mm. But And then students talking in pairs is a bit higher. Students talking in groups is a bit higher. And then students, not even in groups, but moving around and having to interact with lots of people. And that's the, uh, mm. a high level of energy, I would say. Yeah, And I completely agree that that is exactly that kind of great start-off scenario. You don't want to intimidate your learners. It's about differentiation as well. You're um, beginning at a level that allows access to everybody, but mm. could be differentiated upwards. We talked about that in another podcast. And in terms of the Socratic um, method, you are starting with something which leans towards the personal and the indicative. So you're looking to simply say, what matches what? This definition mm. matches that. No creative thinking, no mm. interpretive ideas. Um, this is all very straightforward. But so, so, so you don't need to bring a huge level of focus, but you do have that in, interaction, that energy. Mm. And when I... So, so the, the, of our four quadrants, left-hand mm. side, bottom, low energy, um, low focus, not so great. But low focus, high energy, great to get things started. And then I realized mm. next, I was like, actually, my nearly all of my lessons have follow a temporal curve beginning mm. in the top left-hand corner. Yeah. Then after that, I like to move it uh, into the top right-hand corner, which is mm. high energy, mm. high focus. And then I like to spend the latter part of the lesson in the bottom right, which is yeah, high yeah. focus, but low energy. Yeah. And, and Steve, that, is this is this your framework, or, or have you taken it from somewhere? This this one? is this is well, I I don't I I could imagine other people. I, I'm not aware that anybody has talked yeah. about it, but they they may well have done. It. If if so, I'm I, I apologize. <laughs> um, but this is how how I see it. That means we're going in from a sort of low challenge, a task. So arguably, we should be talking about energy and, and challenge, maybe rather than energy and focus. But you know, this this is a work in progress, guys. You're listening to unfiltered. Mm. theorizing here on the uh, alone up front podcast <laughs> um if you move if you've had this high energy task i like to then move into um keep the energy high but move into a more structured more involved more challenging task which demands a higher level of focus but mm. maintains the energy so, so if, for for example for example this i'm thinking group group discussion yeah. maybe yeah yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in a perfect lesson, uh, maybe in the, in the first part, um, there's not group work per se, but everyone, you, the nature of the task means you end up having to pretty much talk to everyone in the room for a brief period. Um, good for getting to know people, good for just getting people moving. Um, the next part would involve groups, probably that I've set up in one way or another. Um, and that would be a longer task that requires the group to, to figure out uh, a strategy maybe allocate different <clears throat> tasks to different people in the group and would hopefully involve them sending members to other groups to get information or exchange information or get opinions. So it would be, um, arguably, it would have a bit less of the frenetic energy of the first part of the lesson. 
Mm. Um, but you would have a much more involved, sort of committed level of focus in that. Mm. And and folks listening to this, don't be thinking that every lesson of mine is like this, because I'm talking <laughs> about uh, how I imagine. I mean, some of my my better lessons might be like this, isn't it? This anyway. But this is how, how I think it's, it works out well. Um, but then in the past, what I used to do was then just leave it at that. And I thought that anything with a lower level of energy was basically no good. I went into teaching thinking that that top right quadrant, high focus, high energy was where your whole lesson should be. I was quickly mm. disabused of that concept. Um, sure. The great, What you can then do is you have to respect the fact that this, this high energy situation, it's not for everybody. Mm. Um, and I'd say, in my experience, half or more of my learners also relish some time where they can quietly focus on a mm. task and they are not being constantly interrupted or constantly challenged or constantly, you know, mm. they're, 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 they're given the time and space they need to, in, in an individual level, um, or and, as a parent group, to, to really focus. Yeah. And that would be the the, yeah. the high focus, low energy, so the bottom right-hand corner. Yeah, So and this is sed sedentary, you know, so, that's, so they're I not moving so. around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it makes sense. In, in that lesson I was talking about, this would be the one where you've done this group tasks, you've sent people members to other groups, and maybe then um, we've we've completed the group task, they've returned to their original seats, now then we complete a piece of writing related to what we were learning earlier. Um, mm -hmm. This would also be probably sold as the, the learning outcome of this lesson. Yep. So the, the, the kind of the, the piece of physical evidence, which evidence is the learning has taken place. And that would, then, that would then be a quiet, and I sometimes go as far as saying, for the next 10 or 15 minutes, let's actually take the volume right down. We've had mm. a lot of interaction and moving around. Now, maybe you're a little bit exhausted. I wouldn't blame you. So let's just, each of you focus on your piece of work now and give, give everybody else the time and space and, and quiet they need to really, mm. to really dig into this and try and get mm. some good work done in the limited amount of time we have left in the lesson. Um, love it, love it. And this, this last bit really resonates with me because I think... I think that this is missing from from my practice because yeah I'm happy doing the high energy mm. uh, high challenge group stuff mm. but then I, I always think the weakest part is at the end mm. when you're just trying to crystallize the learning yeah. Yeah. Um, and I do that through kind of plenary and through live feedback so I get them mm. to input something online I give mm. them live feedback mm. But I've never found, I've never been overly satisfied with that. It's also to do with the fact it's at the end of the lesson and yep. and stuff. So so to actually um, do something fundamentally different and, and to go into an individual, mm. but possibly an individual piece, a more, uh, yeah, a lower energy piece. Uh, I suppose my reservation there is how, how am I going to give them feedback? If, um, you know, how, how am I going to get them formative feedback if they're doing that on an individual basis? I suppose that would be my reservation. Mm. Well, yeah. I think um, I think that could be handled. I mean, the, the way I would normally handle that is um, signposting as we go into that activity that I will be asking for three volunteers to mm. present their work, either read it out or yep. put it under the visualizer in the classroom or, or upload it so we can look at it. But yep. I'll be clear that I'm looking for three volunteers. And you probably choose them before the before the activity starts. Well, right? I, I'd, be, or... I'd be inviting anybody who feels, but I'd be saying, as you yep. complete this task, uh, think carefully, is it going to be you? Is this going to be the day that you say, you know what? I would like to, I'd like to show this. I'm trying to do a little bit of um, subtle kind of, um, or not so subtle, psychological differentiation. I'm trying to offer it up as the cherry on the ice, no, the cherry on the cake, the icing on the cake. Mm. Um, uh, for those students that, 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 that feel they've, they've done a good job and they want to get a bit of recognition for it. But of course, I don't want to put pressure on anybody. And this approach has its limitations because if you do it week on week off, it's always going to be the same people offering up their mm. responses. Um, so another variant might be to say um, you can upload your contributions to a, a forum, which we have on, say, Moodle or on a learning platform, and mm. um, I will read them and put a comment on them uh, by next week. Or maybe you want to say... Uh, um, put your your finished work on Moodle and the homework task is you need to read and comment on three submissions by mm, your fellow students so that you get a bit of a bit of I mean I, I would I mean I, 
the the formative feedback is incredibly important, and I would try to I would try to f- have that flow into the start of the next lesson. Formative feedback, mm. if you're not sure what we're talking about, is is a, a formative assessment is where you draw your learner's attention to the requirements, expectations set at a metacognitive level. So not so much talking about what they're supposed to do, but why they're doing it and what would constitute a successful completion of the task. Um, but it is tricky. I mean, it is tricky. Um, and sometimes you say that you haven't do that task, and then it's just, the lesson's over now. There's no there's no payoff on that mm. written task we did. It, it, it is a problem. I think that mm. the other thing you mm. can do to make it work is you can make clear from the very start of the lesson that the culmination of this learning is really the production of that individual outcome. So that mm. after the group task, there's not a sense of, oh, the lesson's over now. Mm. Rather, the sense of, no, 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 you, you all know where yeah, this is yeah, going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, because I, I know what you mean. When you said, well, Evans, okay, the group test is over, there is a sense like, well, we're, we're done, right? Because yeah. you say, well, well, maybe, but let's not forget the whole point of that. Mm. And if you sell it that way and you've and you've trailed it the whole time, then there's less of a sense of we're all going to go home now. You know how in the last 20 minutes, remember I said, <laughs> the whole point of this is, and, and, and the, the sign that you've really understood this um, uh, to some meta level is that your production of this text so, you know, just leaving 15 minutes early and not doing it, it's kind of missing the whole point, guys. So I'm going to need mm. to focus for a little bit more. It's um, it's an approach. And I think that mm. we should emphasize we don't want to be prescriptive um, mm. on here. We're not saying that that's what you have to do. Um, but it is something which I found useful in, in, in understanding um, the the what the role energy has to play in the classroom and the way that it can mm. only be understood if it's connected with focus or, or challenge yeah i'll throw and, i'll throw one more thing because i mm. think we're creating a very helpful um kind of path through a through a lesson that you mm. could pl- apply to any lesson mm. yeah like any subject like mm. but that I, I said at the beginning the low energy low focus is when mm. the students are coming into the classroom yeah yeah and I've had some success, you know, doing something with this dead time. You know, when the students come in, mm. I do have a PowerPoint slide that mm. has a question on it. Mm. And the question either relates to last week's stuff or it sets up this week's stuff. Mm. And I use uh, use an online platform. I use something called Socrative. Yeah. Uh, but there's you can do it uh, on mm. lots and lots of platforms mm. these days. And students on their phones just mm. just just write a quick answer to the question. Mm. And, and it just means you're getting and, and some of them do some of them don't and mm. and i don't pressure them about it mm. but it just means you're getting a little bit more out of that kind of dead time the yeah. three or five minutes at the beginning you know when the students yeah. are coming in which which really is that low focus low energy time yeah um so if you put that in at the beginning you, you'd actually complete your journey around the quadrant mm. um yeah you know t- touching in all four spaces yeah you're right that um that that that's neglected space in the bottom left hand corner, low focus, low energy. It's an inevitability, mm. and um, and you need to accept the fact that yeah, that is essentially your students as they come into the classroom. But I think that if your lessons describe a sort of a three quarters of a circle, beginning on the left and sort of going up and then round, um, I don't know. I've 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 come to believe it's it's a nice it's a nice curve. But there's nothing mm. to be said for for moving those things around and saying let's start high energy and, and high focus. Let's challenge them or let's start ease them in mm. with a, a high focus but a low energy task. And then when they feel confident having done that, then put them into a group situation. That would be absolutely the right approach with certain learners and certain tasks. It, it really depends. The 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 take home message here is. Um, be aware of what you're asking your students to do and mm. be aware of 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 where the energy is coming from are they driving the process or are you trying to drive it and are you mistaking energy for focus or are you mistaking lack of energy for focus mm. um you know it's the focused learning happens in both states high energy and low energy um just because your students are quiet doesn't mean they're learning Absolutely. Or just because your students yeah. are loud and rambunctious doesn't mean they're learning. Not necessarily, mm. but but they might be in both states. And mm. I spent too long, too much of my career, <laughs> not really figuring this out and, and sort of mistaking one thing for the other and thinking, um, and not not really, basically not really putting it in the hands of the learners to drive this whole process. Mm. So I maybe, suppose, <clears throat> yeah, and uh, at, at any given time. You know, I'd love to have some kind of Google Glass type technology where 
uh, you could flash up this quadrant on a learner display and get them to instantly answer where where are you on this quadrant now mm, mm. you know because because um at, at any given time you know um, yeah. the learners are going to be at sli- slightly different places and that yeah. you could kind of reinforce on the on the metacognitive level you totally um, could yeah yeah you know you could you could tell students you know this is the journey i want to take you on yeah um in the lesson yeah. you know so so there's you know there's Further work to be done on this, I think, Steve. Yeah. Uh, you always, always talk to them about what's going on, I find. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes it makes it so much clearer to them. And, mm. and why shouldn't they know? Why should they be denied, denied that knowledge? So sure. there you go. Mm. Okay, guys. Well, you know, if you've listened along, then that's that's wonderful. Um, do keep listening and keep sending us feedback. We have a, a top tip for you just to, to mm. close us out today, something that you can implement today or tomorrow. I'll keep it short. Um your top tip for this week is try delivering some teacher talk, not from the front of the classroom, but from somewhere else. Ooh. Try going to the back and delivering some teacher talk from there or t- to the side. Mm. Now, that may seem like a stupid <laughs> idea if you're working in a lecture theatre. Um, and it may seem like a ridiculously gimmicky thing that people are just going to be like, well, what, what are you mm. doing? Why do that? <laughs> but um, I find that especially in group tasks, so if we're in that, maybe in that um, that second portion of the lesson that we were just talking about, so high energy, um, high focus, students are in groups, there are inevitably moments where you need to stop them and introduce some more information or you realize that, that there's been a slight miscalculation of the time or something. You need to get their, all of their attention. But you're not planning on delivering learning content. You're planning on delivering mm. some lesson management content. I found yeah. that if I if I leave my kind of standard position at the front next to the whiteboard and the visuals and I go down the side, then I can kind of uh, achieve a, a slightly... The information that they get from that position, I think mm. on an intuitive level, they understand as being not so much related to the content, but more I'm with them helping them figure yeah. the content out. Interesting. And I think that yeah. we learned on my PGC, we learned about the importance of nonverbal cues. So rather than um, yelling at the top of your voice, okay, everyone be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. You simply had a, a symbol. Anybody that's been in a large group, um, maybe scouts or sports teams will know the symbol of the person just puts their hand in the air and waits until everybody else has their hand in the air and then uh, is, is quiet, right? This is a mm. classic nonverbal cue because it means that the the silence is achieved without you speaking and then mm. your voice only happens in the silence which you have kind of enforced without speaking, which preserves the value of your voice physically and mm. in the minds of the learners. So... If you can, I mean, I've never really got into this. I'm sort of wondering myself, but some teachers subscribe to this idea that depending on what they're going to talk to their learners about, they actually adopt a different position in the classroom. Mm. So if they're talking about sanctions and behavior stuff, they'll stand in one place. But if they're talking Mm. about learning content, they'll stand in another place. And there's an idea um, that the nonverbal, largely unconscious messaging that this sends out helps clarify your message to your learners. Mm. Now... Um, it's a bit esoteric. I'm not quite sure what I think about it. I mean, the, the argument mm. against it is it's just confusing. <laughs> you know, mm. why would you why would you want to be standing at a different point every time? It forces them to turn around in their chairs. It can take them by surprise, yeah. and they and it creates more consternation and confusion than it does. I think that's 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 how I felt when I've tried to do that. Yeah, the students are just like oh. You know, turning round. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think, uh, yeah, I think students. I've felt that students see it as a gimmick. Yeah. Um, but, I yeah, maybe maybe with less cynical younger students, um, it might it might work. I, I'm going to give it a try. I, I, I think I think you're still forming your opinion on this. I am as well. And yeah, the best way is to try it. So I'm going to I'm going to give this a try. Yeah. I, I would say one thing. Um, it only works for me in situations where I have been able to rearrange the tables into an optimum form for the group work I'm planning to do. Okay. Um, it, it, the standard setup for tables where I work in Germany is basically them all facing the front. Sometimes you have like a U form um, with some tables in the middle facing the front. Um, that's fine. I inevitably, though, end up spending the first 15 minutes before the students arrive moving the tables around and arranging them into, say, four tables with six students on each table. 
Um, and I'll do that um, even if the group work is only happening later in the lesson because moving the tables around with all the students in the room is largely a nightmare and um, I, I prefer to invest the time and do it myself. We've talked about this in a previous podcast. Um, so if you have that situation, then the, the reality of having groups of tables means mm -hmm. that the front of the room isn't actually like mm. favoured, if you like, visually in terms of where the students are looking. It's not as favoured as, as, as the rest of the room. I try to arrange mm. the tables so none, so none of the students have their full-on back to the front of the room. Yeah, yeah. So I yeah. try and get the kind of tables sort of side on. So there's, so there's students who, for a lot of the lesson, have to look to the side, but they can then push their chairs back a little bit. But that then means if I go to the sides... Um, actually, some students who have spent their whole time having to twist to see me now don't have to anymore. And other mm. students that weren't do. So it sort of democratizes each axis, each wall of the learning space a little bit. Mm. And mm. I um, I don't know, I, I have found it kind of good. And I found myself almost unconsciously um, uh, starting for group of tasks, knowing there's going to be like 10 minutes, then I'm going to have a little um, intervention, say, okay, how's everyone doing? Um, just get everyone on the same page, then give them another 10 minutes. And I found that those little sort of halfway, let's have a quick update, sorry to interrupt you, but mm. let's just find out where everyone is. I've I quite enjoyed delivering those from the side or from the back of the room rather mm. than, than from the front. Yeah. It's also enabled me physically to point at the front where the task is up mm. on the board or to, or to point mm. at the timer and just get a subtle sense of like, how are we going to handle this mm. task rather than me standing mm. in the front with my task? How are you guys going to do my task? Yeah, you you want to have that when you're introducing the task, but then you want to be maybe with them halfway through. So, I don't know. Mm. It's not so much a top tip as a top thought. Um, <laughs> maybe if you've never left the front of the classroom apart from to talk to individual students, consider the implications of um, delivering parts of your lessons from somewhere else. Um, and say no, no promises. You know, your mileage may vary, but um it's just one of those things that might add something and it's something that you can try today if you're off to work now I like it, um, yeah. then maybe you can check it out or try it tomorrow try it tonight whenever you're doing your next part uh, your next bit of teaching yeah so i'm there, so, certainly going to give that one a go yeah nice one chris well uh it's been a, a pleasant and uh mm -hmm. and informed well i don't know about informed it's been a discussion <laughs> as always yeah yeah i hope no no i think our ideas have taken shape through that they have emerged through the discussion yeah which i, I mean if, if nothing else it is authentic isn't it i mean we yeah. we do a little a little briefing beforehand but you're hearing two practitioners trying to work things out trying to make sense of it two practitioners alone up front trying to build build a few frameworks around what they're doing to make things a lot easier and i've, I've actually absolutely loved this energy focus framework mm. and how it helps you navigate through uh, through a lesson so i'm definitely yeah. going to be using that Great stuff. If you're enjoying the podcast, folks, let us know. Podbean.com is where we host this. You can go to Podbean, search for Alone Up Front. You can find us. You can put comments there. And you can also contact us directly. Um, give us ideas for topics that we'll cover. Give us feedback, what you like, what you don't like. We'll try and make it better. Um, mm -hmm. Me and Chris are still having fun doing it. So we're going we're gonna to keep on recording these things and putting them out there. And if it's helping you, then that's fantastic. Chris, I hope you have a great week doing your teaching. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. And uh, looking forward to the next one. I mean, we're actually going to be in Iceland in a couple of weeks, a week, so, so maybe we'll have a face-to-face -face pod. That would be very... I should be able to podcast in the same room. That would be a novel experience mm. indeed. Mm. Well, if you've enjoyed that podcast, and thanks very much for listening, uh, check out the other ones we've, um, we've got up. It's also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Have a great week wherever you're teaching, and uh, thanks, as always, for listening.